0: Alright, will Say good morning, good morning. Uh, just make sure. All right, What's well, so a good morning. Let us begin. Let's begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure, to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Shabbat, Mrs. Bracha Strimber, <laughs> in loving memory of her husband, Avi Strimber, Abram Ben Akaman Eliezer, our Talmud Torah sponsor, Avi Tobias, in appreciation for all of the Shurim and the Daf, our Day of Learning sponsors, Yisrael Joskowitz and Shlomit Kin, in honor of their marriage, which is occurring today, B'Sha'a Tova the merit of the Talmud I wish them the zechus and the strength to build a binyin ad ad al esim shalom tovos. And our Daf sponsors today, Ilan and Elis Roth, out of gratitude to Hashem for the many miracles he performs for us every day. It's a beautiful, beautiful sponsorship. And I merit Hashem, the Ribbon should continue to shower his blessings and his miracles upon you until 120. <laughs> We'll say with that, let us let us begin. So today's daf is Chav Ches 28. This is really just such a spectacular daf ahead of us today. We are picking up on Chav 27B, and we are picking up at the two dots towards the bottom, Sha'alu Talmidab, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10 lines up from the bottom. Sha'ab this is, there's a couple of times these type of sugyas appear throughout Shas, which is what we'll call the Sha'alu Talmidab, where you see these beautiful conversations which occur between students and their Rebbe. So listen to these conversations. So the students asked Rebbe Zakai, right? So remember again, this is Rebbe Yochanan ben Zakai's father. They asked Rebbe Zakai, Through what did you merit longevity? Right? What's, what's the secret of your longevity? I never went ahead and urinated within four amas which I davin. I will say, now this is the end of yesterday's sogyo. The idea being that, remember, now it's, it's not, the Mepharshim pointed out over here, it's that he waited the amount of time. Remember, this is the, this is the conclusion of yesterday's Gemara. That it's not the pshat that you, right? A person davens, uh, you know, somewhere. Not in the shul, somewhere. Remember again, the Gemara was talking about how well, you should distance yourself amis from the place where you daven. It turns out that's not the halacha. The halacha really is that what? That after you finish davening, you should wait the amount of time it takes to walk dalin amis before you relieve yourself. The idea is because after you finish davening, the tfilos are still in your mouth, right? As you're as in the few minutes that you're done. So this way, you make sure the prayer service is over. I never called my friend by a nickname. Hayom. And I never missed saying Kiddish. So I'll just point out, we're not going to have time to go into this today, but it is incredible to see what people attribute their longevity to. Right? See, Sira B'zakai is saying, I had covered with my davening. Right? I, 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 I davened be coveted. In other words, that when I daven, I didn't just say the words. But I did so in a meaningful fashion, right? I was careful how I treated people. I never called people by their nicknames, right? And ultimately, I always said Kiddush. Lo talti Kiddush Hayom. So the Gemara tells a story. Emo says, you know, my mother was very old. And pam achas machra kippa sha, Kiddush Hayom. And one time when my mother was very old, I didn't have wine for Kiddush. My mother literally sold her hat. She sold her hat in order to go ahead and provide me with the funds to buy wine for Kiddish. Tana B'gimarsas Kish When his mother passed away, Meos She left behind his inheritance for, Rabbi Zakai 300 barrels of wine. So she had amassed some amount of money over the course of her life. So she left behind this Yerusha Kish When Rabbi Zakai passed away, Alofim He left his children, 3,000 barrels of wine. Quite significant. But I'll just point out, so like I said, you're, you're, these are the kind of gemaras that you want to go back and you want to look at. But even if you just think about it a little bit, Rabbi Zakkai is saying that Lobitalti, the Lashon of Lobitalti Kiddush Hayom could also be read in such a simple fashion. Lobitalti, I never lost out on the opportunity Kiddush Hayom to be Makadesh the day. Each and every day has such an opportunity for Kidusha. Each and every day possesses unparalleled opportunities for spiritual growth. And sometimes we're it, right? Sometimes we just don't take advantage of it. Rabbi Zakkai says this key to successful living is make sure every single day to make the Yom. So incredible. Rafuna, Hava Asarisa, I must listen to this story. Rafuna, one time, was wearing a belt made out of reeds. As opposed to having a leather belt, head had a belt made out of reeds. And Excuse me, he came before Rav, my Rav says to him, Ravuna, why are you wearing a grass belt and not a, you know, a reed belt and not a leather belt? kiddusha because I didn't have wine for Kiddush. I didn't have wine for Kiddush. So I gave my belt, I sold my belt, or gave my belt as collateral, and I was able to buy wine for Kiddush. It should be the will of Hashem that you should be covered in silk. So Rava Rav gave Rafuna a beautiful bracha. Obviously Rafuna was so poor that he couldn't afford wine. And not only that, but that he had to give up. He had to sell his belt. He had to sell his belt. So Rav gives him a bracha. You should be blessed with wealth and you should be covered in silk. Beautiful bracha. So Ki-ichlal, Ki-ichlal, Rabbah B'rei, when Rabbah, the son of Rav Huna, was getting married. Inish, so Rav Inish Gutzahaba. Rav Huna was a short man. So listen to this. Gana Apuria. So apparently after the chasnah, he took a nap, right? He took a nap, he was laying down on a bed. Asyon bansei Bishajan Minayu bishirai. So his daughters and his daughters-in-law passed. He was, he, was, he passed a lot, passed, passed by. He was laying down on the couch, and they saw he didn't have a cover. So what did they do? They took some of their silken garments, each of them, and they placed it on top of their father and their father-in-law to cover him. And I will say, what happened? The bracha, the bracha of Rav came true. Shama Rav, Rav heard this, listen to this, the ikbid, and he got upset at Rav Why did he get upset at Rav Huna? Amar, my time below, amarti li the v'chein lemar. When I gave you the bracha, right? This is now Rav saying back to Raphuna, when I gave you the bracha, why didn't you say Becheim Lamar? Becheim Lamar means, and so too for you, so too for the master. In other words, what Rav was saying to Raphuna is when I gave you the bracha, obviously the bracha had impact. And had you said, had you wished the bracha back to me, the same way that you were blessed, ultimately, again, I would have been blessed as well. So I both said, first I will point out, that this is the proper thing to say when someone does give you a bracha, whatever the bracha is, is to say the Chim Lamar, right? Ultimately, again, if someone gives you a bracha, the proper thing to do is to wish them that bracha, reciprocal bracha, whatever you wished for me, in Meretz Hashem, should be visited upon you as well. I will say, once again, you begin to see this, this emphasis on Kiddush HaYom. This is now the second account of the power of Kiddush HaYom. Because say again, remember, what is the essence of Kiddush HaYom? Kiddush HaYom, when a person makes Kiddush, literally what they're doing is they're doing something to go ahead and amplify or to bring out the Kiddush of Shabbos. So remember, Shabbos is Kaddish Me'elav. Shabbos is the, is the day where you do something, you don't do something. Shabbos is going to be Shabbos. Shabbos is Kaddish. What's Kiddush Hayom? A person makes a declaration. And by creating a declaration, ultimately what I'm doing is I'm bringing out the Kiddush of Shabbos. I'm amplifying the Kiddush of Shabbos. I'm actualizing the Kiddush of Shabbos. And what you see again in these two different accounts is the essence of successful living is bringing out the Kiddush, not just of Shabbos, but it's bringing out the Kiddush of every single day. Kiddush Hayom doesn't, should not just happen once a week. Kiddush Hayom should be something that in Merit Hashem occurs each and every day. Being Makadesh the Yom, sanctifying the day, bringing the holiness out of the day. The Gemara goes right there. The Gemara says, Shal told me this, Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua. Students ask Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua, Rabbi, how did you merit longevity? Amr Lahem, Miyomai Lazar ben Shamua says, I never took a shortcut through a shul. Right, because I was like taking a shortcut through a shul means that you're demeaning or diminishing the kiddusha of the place. I was supposed to say sometimes places where we spend a lot of time in, like a shul, like a base medrash. Sometimes we literally cut corners with the kiddushah of the makom. I never made a, I never made a shortcut and I never went ahead and I never went ahead and literally walked on top. Of of the holy nation. I will say what this means is as follows. That remember it used to be that sometimes in the base Medrash, the Talmidim would sit on the floor. So if the Rebbe came in late, if the Rebbe came in late, he would kind of like be stepping on top of them. So ultimately Rabazar ben Shammua says, I never stepped on the heads of my Talmidim. Which I believe, you know what it means? You know what it means? I was never late for Shir. Not on time. Not on time, by the way. It means early. It means early, because remember, if you're on time, everybody else go. Everybody's on time all the time, right? So if you're on time, you're still stepping on their heads. What he's saying is, at the end of the day, I was early. I was early, which I both say is one of the obligations that a Rebbe has to model for his talmidim ultimately again is the Talmidim just have to sh- show up on time, right? The Talmidim don't have to be they, they just have to be there but, but by the Rebbe showing the Talmidim ultimately that he's there early is ultimately the Rebbe showing number one the chashivos that the Shir has and number two the respect that he has for them that he doesn't want to keep them waiting as well. Incredible. And I never dochened without a bracha. Now, "Now, this one is interesting because this doesn't seem to be such a great thing." In other words, of course, no Kohen is permitted to dochen without first saying the bracha. The Bible said, "This goes back to what we learned previously, which is what's the entire idea? What's the sort of a bracha? What's the sort of a bracha? Spiritual preparation, right? The whole idea why we make brachos, right? We just saw this a few days last week, right? a mitzvos mevarchin alein over lasiyosan. Why do we make brachos before we perform mitzvos? Because the bracha is the way I prepare." For the mitzvah. That's the point of a bracha. It prepares me for the Maisaha mitzvah When he says, I never duchind without making a bracha, what he's saying is, I recognize it as a coin, My job is to be the conduit of blessing from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Am Yisrael. I never did that without proper preparation. I never served as that conduit without properly preparing myself. The Yomar goes weiter. Shalom to Misraeli Preda. The last line, the Tell me the Master, I prayed, the Maharachta im Rebbe. How did you enjoy such longevity? I just want to point out, by the way, one other thing. Harachta yamim could mean longevity, like physical longevity. How did you live such a long life? But sometimes, Arichos yamim is not meant, you know, in, 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 we, we have two different phrases. There's Arichos yomim and Arichos shunim. Now, often we translate them synonymously, longevity, but literally one means length of days, length of years. The De'Va Kaddish brings out a beautiful idea. He says, when you see the of Arichos Shamim, that usually refers to longevity, number of years, long years. Arichos Yamim usually refers to, doesn't have to refer to biological longevity, but refers to maximizing the days that you have. So I just want to point out, I think the Pasha Pshat over here is, all of these particular Rabbanim lived long lives. I, that's what it sounds like from the Gemara. I just want to point out that the lashon of, they don't use Bamaha Rachta Shonim. They're, you're right, how did you merit long years? They're using lashon of Bamaha arachta Yomim. How did you maximize your days? Because of us say, isn't that the goal in life? You don't know, none of us know how many years. But I know that I have today. I know that I have today. So sometimes the golden life is not Arichos shanim because I can't control that. The golden life is Arichos Yomim. How do you maximize your days? That's the conversation that's happening over here. So Sholotim and Tarih B'Preda. B'maharach And I will say, by the way, when you look at it that way, that it's not a Shailah of Arichos right? He's not. They're not asking the Rebbe, how do you manage to live a long life? What they're asking is, how do you manage arichos yamin, to maximize your days? The answers make a lot more sense. Because the things that they're discussing, right, the answers they're giving are not like, earth, you know, earth, uh, Yeah, I was willing to sacrifice my one and only someone who appeared to me. You know, like, you don't have answers like that. You have very common everyday things that people can do to infuse meaning into their lives. So, this is great. No one ever got to shul before me, right? I was the first guy in shul every single day, of And I never went ahead and led benching when there was a kohen who was present. And I never ate from an animal for if, if the kohen did not get his portions first. You're not allowed to eat from an animal if the Kohen has not received his portion. Whoever went ahead and eat from an animal. That didn't have its Kohenic portions distributed. Kilo ochel to It's as if you're eating tevel untied produce. But last, say, Ultimately, again, the halacha doesn't follow him. So we'll say, okay. So it's not meant in a literal halachic fashion. But here, I have Rabbi Perade is saying, "How did I merit arichos Yamim? I was the first, always the first person in shul." I never led benching when there was a coin who was present and I never ate from an animal if the coin did not get his portions. So the Gemara says, By the way, is that a good thing I that I prayed never led benching if there was a coin who was present? Wow. said, Listen to this. Wow. If you are a Tamad Chacham and you let a coin lead benching, right, especially if it's a coin amaaretz, that Talmud Chachem is chayiv misa. Now, obviously not literal, but nevertheless, a strong statement, shenei amare, kol mesanai ahavumabes, literally the positive, all who hate me love death, al tikri Sanai ela masni'i, ultimately, again, those who cause me to be hated. Rabbos say, you see, when a Talmud Chachem is deferential to an ignorant coin, what that does is that demeans the covered of Torah. That means the Kavad of Torah. And therefore, again, what the Gemara is suggesting is if all there is is an ignorant coin, the Ava'aret should not be deferential to him. Excuse me, the Tamut Chacham should not be deferential to him. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Preda, did you really do the right thing by letting a coin bench when you were there? After all, you're right, prayed, you want one of the the Hadar, to which the Gemara says, kika amar Ihu Bishavit. No, no, what he meant was, when there was a Kohen who was there who was also a Talmud Chacham, I would always yield my right to bench to that particular Kohen. So it happens to be that contemporarily, contemporarily so we yield, right? Even Tamid Chachamim yield to Kohanim. Often Kohanim will yield back to Talmudich Chachamim. But again, that was very right, prayed. They both say Veter. So Rabbi How did you merit longevity of days? So first of all, I never gained honor through the degradation of my friend. It was so profound. I never allowed myself to be built up based on the demeaning of another human being. And literally, again, I never allowed the curse of my friend to come onto my bed. We'll see what that means. And I was very giving with my money. But say, watch this. What does it mean? I never gained honor through the degradation of my friend. Mark gives an example of this. Rav was once carrying a, a shovel on his shoulder. As Khanabar the Bar came and wanted to take the shovel from Rafuna. From Rafuna. Saumurlay, Ira Gilas Dari. So Rafuna said, here's the deal. If you normally carry a shovel in your in your place, right? If you carry a shovel where you live in your hometown, if you would carry a shovel on your shoulder, you could carry my shovel. But if you don't normally carry a shovel, then I'm not going to allow you to carry my shovel. The idea being was, Rav Huna was not going to allow someone to give him covered at the expense of their own honor. And furthermore, again, I never allowed the curse of my friend to come onto my bed. What does that mean? Listen to this. Listen to this. And he would go to bed. I forgive anyone who has caused me tsar. In other words, I will say, what it means is, what was happening over here is Reb Nechunia ben Akana was saying, before I go to sleep, I forgive anyone who has caused me harm. I do not go to sleep harboring animosity towards another Jew. And I will say, by the way, this is actually in Kriyash Malamita. Right? ha the Vihiknit Osi. I hereby forgive, I will say literally built into Kreshma Lamita. every night we say this, I hereby forgive anyone who has wronged me or who has angered me over the course of the day. He will say, what a profound idea. You want to sleep soundly at night? Let go of your grudges. You want to sleep soundly at night? Let go of the anger, hatred, and animosity. Never close your eyes. Never put your head on the pillow. Ultimately being angry. So, I will tell you, first of all, even aside from anything else, this is a good din in Shalom bias That a husband and wife should never, ever go to sleep angry at each other. That's, 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 that's number one. That's Aleph. And it's certainly, again, once, once I accomplish that step, to just forgive everyone. Whether they deserve, mostly, you, know, you know, as we get older, we recognize that forgiveness should often be granted, even if it's not deserved. Right? For one simple reason. It's not worth it to schlep around the baggage. It's just when, when you when you harbor animosity or you harbor anger or resentment at someone, it weighs you. Often the other person doesn't even care. Right? You know this other way. There are people who are like, I'm so angry at I'm so angry at them. They could care less, right? They're they're living their lives, and I'm weighed down by this baggage, right? Rabbi Tversky, Zeche Tzadik Levraka has a great line. He says that bearing a grudge is like allowing someone to live in your head rent-free. In other words, so like they're occupying all of this emotional real estate. I'm not even making any money off it. At least if I could charge rent, I get something from it, fine. I get nothing from it. It just weighs me down. And therefore, Nechun Ben HaKonah says, let go. Before you go to sleep, just let go of it all. The Gemara goes right there. What does he mean again? It says when he, was, when he was generous with his money. Iov was very generous with his money. He would always give the shopkeeper a tip. Be generous. Just be a generous person. And by the way, I just want to point out over here, if you notice, what's the generosity in this case? A pruta. It will say it's a pruta. Prutas nothing, right? Nothing, a little bit. But what it just says, I'm makir you, right? I, 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 I recognize you, right? I go ahead and, and, and I recognize that you're providing me a service or you're doing something nice for me. So I'm going to give you a little something extra. Doesn't say it was a big tipper, right? But again, a pruta, so beautiful. Listen to this story. He said, how did you merit longevity? So listen to this. So the Gemara says, the servants of Rabbi Nechuniah began beating up Rabbi Akiva. Now they had no idea who Rabbi Akiva was. Right? Rabbi, Akiva, Rabbi Akiva had to climb a tree. He had to climb a palm tree in order to escape them. So ultimately, again, why did they start beating him up? So we're going to see that sometimes this question was misconstrued. And when you go over to someone and you say, how did you merit to get so old? It can be understood as, you don't deserve to be so old, right? In other words, what could you have possibly have done to merit a long life? So it sounds like you, you feel the person doesn't deserve their longevity. So that was clearly how the question was taken by the servants of Rabbi Nachunya, and they literally begin to beat up Rabbi Akiva. So what happens? Rabbi Akiva is sitting in the tree. I'm Ralei, Rabbi. So Rabbi Akiva wanted to show that he was a Talmud Chacham. So he asks the Rabbi and he says, Rabbi, by the by the by the carbon tamid. if it says keves, which is singular, why does it also have to say echad, one? It's the it's it's redundant. So the Gemara says, Ralei says, um, uh, Amr uh, Amr Luhu, he says. So Rabbi Nuchunya says to his servants, "Schora me this guy is a Talmud Chacham, leave him alone, stop beating him up." Amrle to which Rabbi Nuchunya said, "Echad miyuchat sheve'edro." The answer to your question, by the way, is keves means one, but echad means for the carbon tamid you should bring the best keves, right? The best, the best sheep from the flock. Amrle, Rabbi Nuchunya said, "I'll answer your question." Mi yamai lo kibalti matanos. Rabbi Nuchunya said, "You want to know merited longevity?" I never accepted gifts. I never accepted gifts. V'lo amarati al midosai. Abba said, this is so profound. V'lo amarati al midosai, Rashi says, L'shalem gemurah lemishet si'arani. Literally, I never I never visited negative treatment upon someone who mistreated me. Or said, V'lo amarati al midosai means, literally, I was mevatr, I yielded. Even when someone mistreated me, I did not mistreat them in return. I let it go. This is so incredible. I let it go. And I was generous with my money. So now we go through each of them. So the matanos." What does it mean, Rabbi Nuhun Yagodol didn't receive gifts? What's wrong with that? When the house of the Nasi would send gifts to Rabbi a Havashakil, Ultimately, again, he, lo, excuse me, lo he would not accept them. Kiyav mizam neile, similarly, again, when they would invite him to join them for a meal, lo azil, he would not accept the invitation. Amar he said, lo neicha and when he, they would ask, why are you refusing the gifts? Why are you refusing the invitation? He would say to them, don't you want me to live? The, says, the Pasuk in says, he who despises gifts, Will live. I will say, so we've seen this concept before, that ultimately, very often in life, when you get a gift from someone, the gift comes with strings attached, right? Even if there are, quote-unquote, no strings, there are almost always strings, and there are expectations. And whenever you live with strings and expectations, it diminishes your ability to enjoy life. So therefore, Shalom A'la says, Despise gifts, and you'll live a long life. We'll say, so again, I want to be clear. Obviously, there are gifts that don't come into this category, right? There are gifts that are pure. There are gifts that are good. What he's saying is, sometimes, I would say, we all know. We all know what Digmar is talking about. There are people from who you receive gifts that you say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, no, I wish you didn't do this. Because the truth is, I know the expectations. I know what we have. Sometimes we have family members like this. Sometimes we have coworkers like this. We have friends like this. And, and yes, there are people who give gifts with expectation. There are people who don't. Shalom Aleichel is referring again to the gifts that come with expectations. Don't accept them. Don't accept them. Somehow, if you could demur, if you could, if you could decline, it's so much better. So the Gemara says, <speaking in> Rabbi <Hebrew> Zera, when, he, when he'd be offered gifts from the house of the Nasi, he would not accept. <speaking in Hebrew> but when they were inviting him for a meal, he would accept. Why? is <speaking in> Because <Hebrew> when they invite me over for the meal, it's not me who's benefiting, it's them who's benefiting. Because having me at their table is a kavod to them. So he did not look at that as the receiving of a gift. So he was this is so profound. Literally again, I will say, means I was never an exacting person. I was never an exacting person. So he will say, an exacting person says, if you mistreat me, I'm going to mistreat you. You speak badly to me, I'm gonna speak badly to you. That's what it means when a person is, I give what I get. Whatever I give is exactly what I give, whatever I give back. So the Gemara says, the goal is, not to be a person like that. That's called being ma'avir al midosav. Being ma'avir al midosav means, I, no, just because you do something negative to me, I'm not going to give it back to you. Do'ma Rava, kala ma'avir al we'll listen to this. Kala ma'avir al we'll say, this is the kind of gimara that you want to underline and laminate and put in your pocket and carry it with you every minute of the day because you need it. Kala ma'avir al Rabbi will say, if somebody is ma'avir Amidosov, which means which means that I don't give what I get, that even if I am mistreated, I do not mistreat in turn. I let it go. I let it go. If you let things go, ma'avirin mimenu Kal pishav. The ribono shel olam erases your debt. He takes away all of your abir. So i will say, wow, wow, sign me up. Right? Sign me up for this. Because I'm both what is it? It's mita k'nege mita. It's reciprocal. If I'm the kind of person, when I am mistreated, I let it go. Saying, I just want I mean, to, we don't have time for any of this, but I just have to say this to you. This is very different than let's say the Christian concept of turn the other cheek. Right? I'm both saying turn the other cheek is something dramatically different. Turn the other cheek is like, you slap me, turn the other cheek and sla- slap me again. Right? And I-, 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 I love you. That, that, it, remember again, we don't have a turn the other cheek type of situation. In other words, if you mistreat me, I'm staying away from you, I'm not turning any other cheek to you. Right? I'm going to distance myself from you or you might be the kind of person that I can't have a relationship with. And that's why I get even right? Rabbi Akiva, it translates in a different way. Hello translates in a different way. Okay. And anyway, the, the point of what say is that what? But yet there's a concept that just because I'm mistreated by someone, I'm not going to give it back. I'm not getting down in the mud with you. That's, that's how you're behaving? That's what you're doing? Fine. I hope you have it a refur shalima because when people act negatively towards other people, there's something broken inside of them. I'm sorry that you're broken. I hope you're going to get better. I hope you're going to get the help that you need to be a whole and happy person. But I'm not giving it back to you. I'm not giving it back to you. I'm letting it go. I have a right to give it back to you, but I'm not doing that. I have every right to give it back to you, based on how you've treated me, but I'm not, go- I'm not going down that hole with you. I'm not getting into the mud with you. And when a person exhibits that personalistic strength, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Wow, if you could do that to someone who wronged you, you know, every single time I do an Avera, I wrong the ribono Shalolom. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Well, if you could let it go when people wrong you, I could let it go when you wrong me. I will say, what an incredible Gimara. So, if I summon the strength to be mavir amidosav, to let it go. Remember, I get what I understand. Loshanos, somebody who's omid amidosav, right? Omid amidosav means I treat everyone reciprocally. If you hurt me, I'm going to give it right back to you. You demean me, I'm going to give it right back to you. Mavir amidosav means I let it go. I let it go. I let it go. Doesn't mean I'm going to be friends with you. Doesn't mean I'm going to like you. Doesn't mean I'm going to have what to do with you. But I'm going to let it go. Baruch Hu says, You summon up that courage to do that with others, I'll do that with you. Incredible. Shnaimar no si'avon va'ovar apesha. Lemi no To who does Akkadishbaruchu go ahead erase sin? Lemisha over Pesha. To he who is able to overlook iniquity. I will say, What an incredible and overwhelming Gemara. Shara, Shara, I will say, By the way, and once again, if you understand these Gemaras, as It's not a shot in how do you merit a long life. It's how do you merit long days? Right? How do you maximize your life? I will say how we've all we've all had moments where you've gotten down in the mud with other people, and then we've all had moments where what where what? Where you let it go. And I both say you always feel better when after you get down in the mud, right? You think you're gonna feel good because you're giving it back, and then how do you feel? Muddy, right? <laughs> Muddy. Even you say, like, I, can't, I actually can't believe I did that. I can't believe I sunk to that person's level and behaved, I thought I was going to feel good, Right? I thought I was going to give it back. And like, Look at me. And meanwhile, I'm now creating an equality between them and me. And for, on the other hand, when you find the clock, and again, it's so difficult to do this, to be my amidos to let it go, you feel like a million dollars. You feel, you feel like, wow. I think I just reached like the pinnacle of human actualization by going ahead and letting this go. And that's ha'arichos yomim, your days are better when you're ma'av y'amidot. So, Shalash Rebbe, ben Karcha, Pema ha'arach, the yomim. Yahushua Karcha said, how did you merit longevity of days? Amr le'i katzta b'chayev. So we'll both say once again, the question was misunderstood, right? So Rebbe's asking Yahushua Karcha, and Yahushua ben Karcha kind of takes it as Rebbe begrudging him a long life no Rabbi I need to learn the same way I learned from the Sheer I need to learn from your life how does one merit to have a meaningful life how does one merit longevity this is fascinating I never looked at an evil person never looked at an evil person you should not look at the face of an evil person you should not look at the face of an evil person so we'll say that's the Navi Elisha talking to the King Yehoram. Saying to Yehoram, Russia, I wouldn't even be looking at your face were it not for you, Shafat. Lazar, Amar, In of chaos. If you look at an evil person, your eyesight diminishes. Mishum Why did Yitzhak Avinu lose his sight? Why was his sight diminished in his old age? Because unfortunately he had a son who was a Russia and he looked at Esau and because of that, his eyesight was diminished. So we'll say, by the way, what does this have to do? What does it mean? You look at a Rasha, your eyesight is diminished. they will say, it's something so profound. What it tells you is, any encounter with evil has an impact on us. You know, you see, we often think that we could live unimpacted or uninfluenced by our surroundings, right? That I could be who I am and it doesn't matter, you know, what I watch or what I look at or who I keep company with or what I engage in. I'm, I'm unaffected by these things. And I both say, we know it's not true. We know it's true. We both say, isn't it sometimes the hardest thing in the world? You know, you could be minding your own business. You pass by a billboard that's inappropriate and it changes you. I'm not even looking for trouble. I'm not. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. Something and everything you see and everything you experience and everything that happens around me, it all impacts me. To the point that Gimara says, you look at a Russia. You look at Russia. I'm not even talking with him. I'm not interacting with him. But even looking at someone who's and by the way, to be a Russia is not about your your, your body. You speak Russian, Hara. Right? A Russia is a Russia. Right? To, to look at a Russia. To look at a Russia. It impacts me. Every single thing in this world impacts you. And I always say, whatever is true in the negative, of course, is also true much all the more so what? In the positive. All the more so in the positive. Everything positive impacts me, but everything negative impacts you. And impacts me in a tangible way. In a tangible way. You look at the Rasha, somehow it impacts your eyesight. So you say, by the way, is that the reason why Yitzchak went blind? you this, said, the curse... Of a simple person should not be taken lightly. Shari Avimelech kilele Sarah Avimelech cursed Sarah in a, in a nuanced way. Vines kaiim and the curse came true in her offspring. Shene mar hinei lach ksus e'naim So remember again when Avimelech returned Sarah to Abram, so he gives her a veil. Hinei ksus ksus So have we spoken about this before? Avimelech's gift to Sarah was a musar. What was the musar? Here's a veil. Here's a veil, right? Why, why is he giving her a veil? Because you guys pulled the wool over my eyes. You pulled the veil over my eyes, right? I remember, I just asked. I just asked, who is she? And Abram, you said, she's my sister. And therefore, I took her. And therefore, I took her. But at the end of the day, I wasn't actively trying to chasram do something illicit. You pulled the wool. So, Avimelech cursed them. Cursed them. And therefore, as a result, the Gemara says, I look, sias enayim. So, the Gemara says, so therefore, the Gemara understands that Yitzchak's blindness was that or diminished eyesight was actually a result of the curse of Avimelech, not at his looking at Esav? To which the Gemara says, "Hava halgamalei." They both caused his blindness. Okay, Rava Amar says from here, "Seis rasha Lotov. Good. Pitiraso. So we'll see now. Listen to this now. Remember, all of this, all of this is a conversation between Rabbi and Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha. Right. So Rabbi is asking Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha, Rabbi, how did you merit? How did you merit a long life? Right? Rabbi Yeshua Ben Karacha answers again with all of these ideas. Piti raso, as Rabbi was taking leave of Rabbi Yeshua Ben Karacha, Amr Lehi, Rabbi Barchini. Listen to this, Rabbi say. So Rabbi says to Rabbi Yeshua Ben Karacha, Rabbi, give me a bracha. Rabbi say, get ready for this. Amr You should be zoha to live at least half as long as I do. So Rabbi was surprised by this bracha. Right, that's all, that's all. So, so Rebbe says back to Rebbe Yeshua Ben Karcha, why wouldn't you give me the blessing to live as long as you? Why would you only give me a blessing to live at least half as long as you? Once I get ready for this answer. Those who come after you, what should they do? Should they shepherd animals? So we'll what he was saying to Rebbe was, if I give you the bracha of longevity like mine, then your children will not have the opportunity to rise to their greatness as well. In other words, that he suggests, I guess, Rabbi Shob and saw that Rebbe's sons were also destined for greatness. But as long as the father is alive, the sons cannot fully self-actualize. So therefore he gave him a bracha, you should have a life half as long as mine, because this way, again, your sons, upon your death, will be able to assume the mantle of leadership, and we will be able, in to accomplish as well. Now, will say, I'll just look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says over here, says to Rabbi, it's not good for you to live as long as a life of mine. Listen to this. So Loyitlu Rabbi listen to this. The was saying to Rabbi, Rabbi, all the days that you're alive, you're a Nasi. If you're the Nasi, that means what? Your kids are not. But if you die, You vacate their position and what? You leave open the opportunity for them to grow. So we'll say, isn't this absolutely incredible? So we'll say, there's so many lessons in this that sometimes, again, what life demands of us is to exit the stage to make room for someone else. So I will say, it's not all about us. It's about getting the job done. And sometimes there's a time for me to get the job done. And there's a time ultimately, again, to exit, to exit, and allow someone else to get together. You see this often in leadership positions as well, right? That you could have someone who's a very successful leader and maybe has occupied a position for a significant amount of time. And then there comes that moment where the leader has to say to himself, you know what? I love this. I think I'm good at it, right? But at the end of the day, it's time to make room For someone else, this is why businesses have to have succession plans, right? Organizations have to have succession plans because sometimes part of what you need to do is be the leader, and sometimes what you need to do is make room for the next leader. It's a very humbling experience, right? especially if you're used to being the leader. But sometimes being the leader sometimes demands making room for the next person because maybe they're younger, maybe they have a different idea, maybe they have more koach. So this is incredible. So Rabbi, i saying to Rabbi, no, you're not going to live as long as I lived because if that's the case, your sons will always live in your shadow. And sometimes life is about doing and leading and sometimes life is about exiting the stage and making room for someone else. Just incredible. Abuah Bar i U minyam al Barihi. Khad Amar. So Avua Barii, Minyam Bar Imi, one of them said, Tisi, give me a bracho de lowestakil bakusi. I never looked at a kusi. And I will say this is going back to the idea of not looking at Rishon. So he's saying I never looked at in this in this in this in this in this context. Kusi means a rasha. I never looked at a kusi. Bihad armati to la avdi shutbasbadi kusi. I never did business with a Kusi. Shalom to me that this rabi zera maharakht yamim. Rabbi Zira, how did you merit longevity? Amr the Hami Yamai, Lohik Parati besoch Besi. Wow. Wow. Rabbi Zira, how did you merit longevity? I never got angry in my house. I never got angry in my house. I'm trying to avoid eye contact with this one, right? Yeah, right? Not for any of you, for me. Right? I never got angry in my house. I was like, can you imagine that? Can you? Never got angry in my house. You see, to not get angry in public, that you could hear. Right, because also the truth is, all of us put on a face in public. Right? That, that's, everyone does that. No one is the same person in public that they are in private. Right? I never lost it in public. Okay, way, that's an accomplishment as well. I never lost it at home. I never got angry in my house. I never walked in front of someone who's greater than me. And I never thought about Torah. In unclean alleyways. I never walked dal amis without Torah, or without Twilin. I never fell asleep in the base madrish. Now say that's almost as incredible as not getting angry. Right? I never slept, never slept what not once in the shul or in the base medrash. I never rejoiced about the downfall of my friends, right? The failures of my friend. Or I never called my friend by a nickname or by his last name. I never referred to both sides. So if you think, if you look at this, by the way, it's such a challenge of things, right? It's such a mixture, right? So on one hand, you have spiritual dynamic activity. I never thought about Torah in unclean places, which is incredible. Which says shows. That Torah is not an intellectual pursuit. If Torah is an intellectual pursuit, you think about it whenever and wherever you want. The ability to say, I can't think about Torah, it tells me Torah is a Dabr shavik Dusha. But at the same time, to never go more than Dalramas without Torah and without Tefillin. To never fall asleep in the base medrash means that every moment I'm in the base medrash, I recognize the beautiful opportunities that are in front of me. I will say, you know, can you imagine if somebody allowed you to go into a vault of a bank and said, you have 45 minutes in the vault. And whatever you could go ahead and accrue is yours. I will say, I never would say, oh, you know what? I got to sleep so late last night. You know, let me just lay down in the corner of the vault for five minutes. Rest in mm-hmm. my eyes. I'm so tired. No one would ever say it. No matter how late you were up the night before, you would summon up every last little bit of energy to acquire as much as you could. I will say, if we only looked at our time in the base medrash, like being in a vault because that's what it is. Every single moment we're here, every single moment we're in front of our Gemara, every single moment we're in front of my Siddur, every single moment I'm, I'm in the vault. I'm literally in the vault. The was, grab just, grab, just grab whatever you can. You can't stay in the vault forever, right? You have to leave the vault at some point in time, but whatever you could grab when you're in the vault, that's yours. That's yours. So, Rabbi, so therefore, again, Rabbi zero said, I never slept. I never slept in the shul. I never slept in the base because who could sleep? Who can sleep when you're in the vault and you have the opportunity to acquire all of this treasure? But I both say, but if you look at it, there's so many other pieces. There's also, I never called my friend by his nickname. I never called him by his last name. Which means I both say, now you'll tell yourself, we, you know, all of us know people, you know, we know that there are two different types of nicknames, right? There are disparaging nicknames and then there are just like part of nicknames, right? Calling someone by their last name. Which I'll be saying, this is so profound. I never took any level of liberties with the covet of another. I just didn't. I just didn't. They whether they mind or they didn't mind. I just never did it. I just ne- I never did anything that had the remotest possibility of somehow demeaning or hurting or disparaging another human being. It's so profound. But I will say, but I think the first one is still the most amazing one. I never got angry in my house. I never got angry in my house. I will say. Now it could be that maybe he went to the basement, locked the door and just yelled, right? Or, or, or hit the wall, you know, I don't know. Everybody you know, need, needs or at least, I will say, but isn't that incredible? I never got angry in front of my children. I never got angry at my spouse, at least publicly, right? I never, in, in the house, I controlled my anger in my home. I will say, I think like out of all the things we read, if that's what I mean, they're, they're all, these are all incredible takeaways. I will say, but how amazing would it be to work on that particular me, just to not get angry at least again? You know, at least not, not publicly. To myself, I could fume over things, but Lamay said to try to control my temper in my home would probably be such a source of bracha for all of us. And I will say, this concludes the sugya. Again, I would urge you, I would plead and beg with you to review these gimaras, because I will say this every this. Megillah, taf chav chesam chav apparently the secret to successful living. If we want arichos yamim, right? Arichos longevity of years, none of us know how much ches brachu has in store for us. But arichos yamim, maximizing our days. That's all contained over here. We should be zochef. we we'll say mishnah. I'm Rabbi Huda. Other Rabbi Huda. Basicness is shecharav. In must be we say even if you have a shul that is in a state of ruin, you still can't deliver eulogies inside of it. We'll say, we're going to see the theme over here is that even a shul which is which is in, which is fell, fallen into a state of disrepair still has Kiddushah. And therefore, you still can't do certain things in it. So you can't, you can't use it as a funeral home, right? You can't go ahead and deliver eulogies inside of it. You can't twist ropes. Now I will say, Rashi points out, you can't do any type of labor inside of it. The reason they're using twisting ropes is why? Because this is actually very interesting. In order, Everyone knows, in order to twist ropes, what do you need? What do you need? A large open space, because how do you twist ropes? You take a lot of smaller ropes, and you twist them together. That's how you make large ropes. So you need to lay everything out. So a vacant shul would be a great space for that. You can't do that there. You can't set traps in there. You can't spread fruit out on the top of the shul to dry and you can't make it into a shortcut, I will destroy your Mikdash, right, ultimately, what do you see from here, even when they are in a state of disrepair, it's still called a Mikdash, right, a shul, a base a base Mikdash, is still called, it's still called the Mikdash, even when it is in a state of disrepair. So incredible. So, if grass begins to grow inside of the shul, you should not uproot it. Ultimately, again, because it causes pain. And I will say, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, we want people to feel pain about the state of disrepair in the shul. Why? Rashi says, because if they feel pain, what will they do? What will they do? They'll daven. And I think that there's a simpler pshat as well, which is if they see pain, maybe they'll do something about it. In other words, davening is good also, but in addition to davening, it's also good idea to roll up your sleeves and to try to fix your problems. So if they see a shul that has fallen into a state of disrepair, then ultimately sometimes leaving it, right, not uprooting the grass. Let people see this grass growing in the shul. This grass growing in the shul. So the mice again, that'll hopefully spur them to tefillah, spur them to action. Says the Kalus Rosh. In shuls in general, you can't act with levity. Kalas rosh, right? Vein You're not supposed to eat and drink in a shul. Again, we'll discuss this halachah and the evolution of this halachah in a little bit. Well, tomorrow, vein shuls, right? Vein You can't literally go ahead and like dress yourself. You can't get dressed in a shul. Vein You can't shpatzir. In other words, if you're looking for, a, you know. I don't know, you're going out for coffee with your friends. Hey, let's meet at shul. I walk around shul. I mean, first of all, it's Baltimore. This is actually probably the most exciting place yeah. uh, to go. I will say, but, but, at, but at the end of the day, again, you, came, you can't use the shul as shelter. In other words, if it's very hot outside, you can't say, oh, I'll seek refuge from the sun inside or it's pouring. You can't use the, you can't use the shul just as a physical shelter. So the you can't go ahead and deliver a eulogy of an individual. So I will say, well, what can you do in a shul? You can learn in a shul, you could dive in a shul, you could teach in a shul, and you are allowed to host a levaya." I will say, what type of levaya can you host in a shul? Or what type of you what type of eulogies? Right? When it's a communal, when it's a communal eulogy. We'll see examples of this. So the Gemara says, When do all of these halachas supply? Ultimately, again, when the shul is inhabited, right? However, about the when the shul has fallen to a state of disrepair, right? It's no longer utilized. Manichanosa, we leave the shul alone. We let grass grow. We don't uproot it. Because it causes pain. We want people to go and say it's an incredible thing. You know, I just want to point out, it's fascinating to see, I think very often in current society, if someone is experiencing pain, what's often the reaction? What's the reaction? How do you fix it? How do you fix it? Right? How, how do you take away the pain? And they will say, sometimes pain is supposed to be experienced. Not every type of pain is supposed to be soothed. And not every type of pain is supposed to be numbed. It's very counter, right? In Yiddish, says some type of pain Is good because some type of pain spurs you to action, right? When you feel something hurting inside of you, that's often when you summon up the courage, to let me do something about this. If I numb every single thing, then sometimes the catalyst, the dynamic activity is taken away as well. So the Gemara says, don't uproot the grass, leave the grass there. We want people to feel the pain because maybe if they feel the pain, they'll do something about it. So the Gemara says, Why are you bringing up grass? Who's talking about grass? We'll say there's a piece missing here, so I have to read it. Normally, again, when the shul is being used, you have to go ahead and sweep the floor and sprinkle water on the floor to keep the dust down in order that grass doesn't grow. Only when the shul is being used. But when the shul is not being used, when the shul is not being used, Ultimately, we allow the grass to grow. and when the grass grows, it is shul that's in a state of disrepair. Lo don't uproot the grass mitne agmas because it causes pain. Ravasi, by the shul above, says the shuls in Babel were made with the t'nai. All the shuls in Babel were made with the t'nai. will say what type of t'nai. What's the condition? Rashi says that you should be able to use them in any way you want to use them. So the Gemara says, But nevertheless, you can't act with frivolity inside of the shul. So what's It's incredible? So apparently there's this concept that you can make a shul al That the shul could be used for whatever you want, but still you can't engage in frivolity inside of the shul. My new, what's an example of frivolity? Cheshbonos. Toz says, Cheshbonos means business dealings. Right, they can't conduct business dealings. Now again, not Tzarek sibor. Fundraisers you could do. Right, Cheshbonos for the shul you could do. Cheshbonos for the community you could do. Tosa says, just your own personal business. Any shul in which they conduct business, non-mitzvah business, ultimately again, Malinim Bo They will house the dead inside of it. Malinim Sashadayit Chach, Lo Sagi Delav HaKi El Shi'alinu bo know what it means is, unfortunately, any shul which is disrespected in that people conduct mundane business activities inside of it, ultimately will be the place where there will be a mes mitzvah. But we'll say somebody will die with no, with no one to bury them, that'll happen inside of Shalom. So we'll say mes mitzvah represents like the paradigmatic example of Tumah, right? There's a person who died and there's no one to take care of the burial. So if I disrespect the kiddushah of the shul to such a degree that I'm conducting my private business inside of the shul, then ultimately, again, the shul will lose all of its kiddushah by having a mesmitzvah mitzvah inside of it. Incredible. So also, you're not supposed to address yourself in there. So also, it's an interesting idea that apparently Tamidi Chachamim, who spend their days in the Shul and the Beis Medrash, are permitted to use the Shul and the Beis Medrash for some of the activities of daily living. So if I'm a Talmud Kaqam, a is a Talmud Kaqam, and they need to adorn themselves, fix themselves up, right? Fix themselves up, you're, they're allowed to do so in the base medrash because the base medrash or the shul takes on a quasi status of being their home. You can't enter into the shul because of the heat or because of the rain. We'll also listen to this. Ravina and Ravad were asking the shiloh of Ravah. Asa zilcha and started to pour. They went into the shul. And they said, The reason we went into the shul is not because it's raining. But rather, we're going into the shul. Why? Because, again, a day, a day, right? Learning requires clarity of mind, just like a day, a sunny day with a north wind. In other words, what they were saying is, We're not going into the shul because it was raining. We're going into the shul because in order to learn, excuse me, a person needs clarity. And when you're sitting inside, or sitting in the pouring rain, you don't have the clarity you need to learn. Here's what we've established. What we've established is, you can't just go into a shul for no reason, right? You can't make it into a shortcut and you can't <clears throat> treat the shul like that. So we'll say, watch the fine situation. What happens, uh, Ruvain's in shul and I need to get Ruvain out of shul. But I can't just, you can't just walk into shul and get someone out. So how do you get someone out of shul if you need them? Amr'aleh, <speaking in Spanish> If you're a Talmud Chach, I'm walking to shul, let's say a halacha, learn Torah in the shul. That way you're not just using the shul as like a, as like a way to get in and get out. If you know Mishnah, say Mishnah, and if you know Chumash, say a pasach, and if you don't know, stop a child and ask him to say what he's learning. In other words, the idea over here is if you're entering into a shul, learn something there. Learn something there. That way, again, your entry is purposeful. Inami nishi or just sit down in the shul for a few moments. We'll say. And again, this is not You're not allowed just to enter into a shul for utilitarian purpose and just walk in and walk out. That's considered to be disparaging to the shul. See, anytime a person walks into a shul, again, you could learn a gemara, you could learn a mishnah, you could learn a pasuk, you can say a capital of tilun, you could dive in a little bit, you could ask a child, you can ask someone else to tell you an idea of learning, or You could just sit down and sit there for a few moments. And if you sit there for a few moments, that is considered now as if you are using the shul in a purposeful, meaningful way. We're going to say one more line. You are allowed to deliver a public eulogy in a shul. So What's a public eulogy? So if said any hespid, any levaya that Rav would attend, that's a public hesped. Machvi Rav kegon dekay Okay, and Rav Sheshez said, "Oh, any 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 hesped that Rav Chista would attend." Rabbis say that the idea being these were great rabbis who spent their days learning Torah. They wouldn't just go to any levaya. They would go to levaya for public for public figures for community figures. So any hesped, any levaya, any funeral for which one of these great Rabbin, and that's called a public hesped. And that could take place even in Shul. Raphram's daughter-in-law passed away, and he eulogized her in Shul. Because of me, and because of who my daughter-in-law was, a lot of people are going to come. Because a lot of people are going to come, therefore, again, this is considered to be a haspit of the rabim of the public, and therefore it can happen inside of a Shul. Zera went ahead and. He went ahead and eulogized the particular Talmud Chacham in the shul, Amar imi shumi yikara didi, imi demesa asukli And it was there, he said, both because of me, I'm eulogizing, and because the Talmud Chacham who passed away, many people will come and attend this eulogies. So we'll stop over here for today, we'll pick up with the sugi tomorrow, but let's say what we're leaving off it. Of. We're leaving off is this idea is that normally a shul cannot be used for eulogies, but if halakha lemesa, it's what's called the hespeda rabbin right, the hesped that is going to be for the general community, Ultimately the shulk could be used, we'll more narrowly define those parameters in tomorrow's Shim and Tomorrow Shir. Share everyone.